Okay, Genesis chapter 2, we're going to hit the end of chapter 2 today. And um, uh, last week, we took a brief step back into chapter 1 because uh, it felt like we needed to spend a couple of weeks talking about the role of man and the role of woman. And uh, you can go back and listen if you missed. I'm going to hit the high notes of the role of man, but it's not going to say everything that men you need to hear. And so encourage you, uh, go back and listen to it. Uh, wives, make your husband go back and listen to it. Um, and uh, uh, here are the high points. Genesis 1:27. at the end of the uh, creation narrative, uh, it says, so God created mankind. This is day six in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. So what we see here and what we'll see in the subsequent verses is that uh, God created mankind in his own image. So we are image pairs of God. But then we see uh, it's gender specific. Both male and female were created in the image of God. So that is a picture of gender equality as we think about it. When we think about male and female, both are equal in the sight of God, equal image bearers. And then they are not just called, uh, they are not just created by God as image bearers, but they're given the edict to reign and to rule. And last week you saw the first edict was to procreate, to, to create more uh, little people that grow into people who are bearing the image of God. And so uh, then we moved into chapter two and we saw this move from a 30,000 foot perspective to the specific roles of man and woman as God laid it out. Last week we dealt with the role of man and we introduced the idea of headship. And if you remember, headship, there were two characteristics. There was both authority and responsibility. And we said, unfortunately, in our culture, most men want all the, uh, all the authority and none of the responsibility or some varying, uh, varying degree of that. And so know this, to live in God's perfect design as a head over your household, you have to have both, both authority and responsibility. And, and uh, if you take authority, but you want none of the responsibility, then you're not living God's perfect design. And we talked about how those are to be lived out, gave you some practical tools on how to be the preserver and protector of God's presence in their home. And so you can fill in the blanks. There's some, some good practical tools for you to live in God's perfect design. But, but let me say this. I was in Love Coffee on uh, either Wednesday or Thursday. I can't remember which day it was, but uh, there were a couple of guys sitting in Love Coffee, and they were talking about uh, this guy on Sunday decided that that was going to be the day that he was going to begin praying daily with his wife. And he was four days in, and four days, he's like, it has transformed my marriage right? I'm like, okay, that's strong. Four days, right? Maybe wait, you know, seven to 10. But, uh, but, but hey, I think it's incredible that, that he's looking at it. And again, guys, everything that we talked about last week, it is such low hanging fruit. Here's why. Your woman wants to be led by you. She wants a spiritual leader. She wants someone who is going to come alongside her and lead her spiritually. And so this morning, we're going to shift from the role of man to the role of woman. So last week, ladies, I invited you to keep your elbows to yourself, right? And I hope that, that the drive home wasn't quiet. I hope that men, you allowed your wives to, 
to maybe speak and give some feedback into some areas of growth for you. If you really had courage, maybe you asked them, hey, how can I lead you better? If you didn't, uh, man, jump on that. But today, men, arms by your side, okay? Whatever you hear today, don't, don't make it, see, I told you. Um, this is an opportunity for you to listen. Ladies, today, um, remember this first and foremost. You were created equally as an image bearer of God. So that's number one. We've got to look at a man when, when God created man and woman, he did not look and say, oh, men, you are preeminent. And women, I, get, I mean, okay. That's not how God created it. And unfortunately in our culture, that's how we view it today. We view that, that, that women are kind of secondary, less than. If you go around the world, even today in 2022, women are second-class citizens in most nations. And so we want to say today, man, that the, the view of women equally created as image bearers of God and invited to partner with man in the world. But today we're going to flesh out a woman's specific role, a role that perfectly complements a man, complements, fits together, that together um, you will never see God on display more than when a man and woman are working together to bring the glory and purpose of God on this planet. It's the way that it was designed to be. So um, just a little bit of a hard one. Uh, this week as I was preparing, here's uh, something that I would just want to say right up front so that we can get this in our minds. Maybe you've been in a marriage where your husband has not led you well. Maybe there has uh, been some kind of abuse, whether it be physical or emotional. Maybe um, uh, there has been infidelity on one or both of your parts. And so here's the thing. This is kind of hard, right? It's hard for us to look at God's perfect design because we see post-Genesis 3 in our culture. Okay, so know this, in Genesis 3, next week we'll cover it, when sin enters the world, we are no longer living in the truth of how God designed things. We're living in some sort of distortion. And so always remember when we look at the rest of the Bible, when we look in 2022, and we're going to look back through Genesis chapter 3 and imagine the cross is right there between Genesis 3 and Genesis 2. Meaning that when Jesus came to restore, he came to restore back to original intention. So this is the original intention. So as I speak today, um, just remember that this is God's original intention and the goal is to get back there. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, man, be open to the fact that maybe everything is not okay in Oz. Maybe there is uh, something more that you need to give your life to. And don't settle for a good marriage when a great one can be there. Um, also want to say, if, if you are single, either by divorce or you've never been married, um, please don't check out this morning because the passage really deals primarily with the marriage relationship. Um, but if you plan on getting married or, or, or being remarried, these are great things for you to know and, and to be on the lookout for as you're moving toward marriage. Okay, so I, I was... Uh, trying to think of some things that were complementary to each other, that maybe you need one 
to accomplish the other or uh, one makes the other better. And so uh, here are just a few. Um, uh, in order, uh, cement needs water. Did everybody know that? Yeah, if you just pour some cement out, it's not gonna coagulate at all. You need water in order for it to complete its purpose. Shoes need shoelaces, right? Unless you have like Crocs. Yeah, which are not, they're no longer in, so don't wear those, okay? Um, uh, cereal needs what? It needs milk, right? How many of you eat dry cereal? Yeah, a few, that's all right. Try some milk on it, it'll change your life. Yeah, if you're, if you're crunchy, maybe oat milk or, you know, you do you, all right. Okay, chips need salsa. Insert queso. I mean, chips need something more, don't they? I mean, chips by themselves a little, they're okay, but chips need salsa. Uh, movies need what? Popcorn. That's right. When you watch a movie without popcorn, you leave lacking every time. It doesn't matter how good the movie is, you finish, you're like, ah, oh, man, I don't have that salty taste in my mouth. All right, here are a couple of sports analogies. Um, Bill Belichick needs Tom Brady, okay? <laughs> True or false? Yeah. Michael Jordan needed Scottie Pippen, right? So all of you can be like, no, he's the GOAT. Hey, he didn't start winning a championship until Pippen got there. So um, all of that to say, when you look at life, so often we see something and when it's on its own, it's good, but when it has its complementary piece, it's better, indispensable. And that's what we're gonna see in this passage today. So we're gonna start in verse 18 of chapter two. Let me read through the passage, then we'll talk about it. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall in a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother. He's united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Didn't get an amen there, did I, Sheila? All right. I was, I was waiting. I was waiting. Yeah. You amen at the most random times, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. That's just funny. All right. So verse 18. God said it's not good for man to be alone. So if you remember chapter one, uh, we see um, really this poetic telling of the book uh, of Genesis chapter one, right? 
um, that he formed and then he fills it. He formed and then he filled it. He formed and then he filled it. So we see there was symmetry between the days uh, that, that he was forming and then filling, forming and then filling. And then there were two refrains. Remember there was evening and morning of the first day, evening and morning of the second day, evening and morning of the third day. But what did we see was the other refrain? Refrain. It is good. Say it with me. It is good. Until day six, he said, it is very good. It's very good. And so we see this picture of the goodness of God on display in all of creation. But then what happens? In verse 18 of chapter two, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. It's the first time we see that God looks and says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. It's the first time God has said anything in creation is not good. Man should not be alone. Okay, so guys, before we get into women here, just be reminded, um, you were not made to be an island unto yourself. We think about this on Independence Day. I mean, we all, all of us, male and female, have an independent spirit, right? Our predisposition is to live in complete independence. But guys, um, we're probably the worst at this. We just won't be left alone, right? On, 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 on Mother's Day, moms want their kids around them. On Father's Day, we're like, hey, can I just take a nap, right? Are you going to take care of the kids, right? I mean, we just, we just kind of want to be left alone. It's kind of our default position. We default toward isolation. We don't like to talk about our feelings, right? How many men love to talk about their feelings besides me? Yeah, yeah. Um, how many of you have not cried in the last decade? Yeah, okay. Thank you for being honest. Most of you guys are like, I ain't, I ain't admitting to that. At, at the end of the day, we look at it, men, we are prone to independence, we're prone to isolation, uh, we don't naturally flock toward relationships. I spend a lot of time with men in counseling relationships, and very few men have really, really close friends that they really share their life with. I think we do maybe a little bit better job than a lot at restoration, but I still think that there is a lot for us to grow in to be a lot more available. And, and God says, listen, you shouldn't be alone. You weren't made to be alone. So if you're a lone wolf and you pride yourself in being the master of your own destiny, the one who says, man, I'm the one that's got all the best ideas. I'm the one that, that can make it by myself. Just know uh, God would say otherwise. You weren't made to be alone. And this is uh, Western thought versus Eastern thought. Western thought today is independence, right? That is our thought. We have a day. We have a day that is all denoting independence. In Eastern thought, the thought is interdependence. And we all work together for the common good. And you see that throughout scripture, this picture of everybody's gifts are indispensable, that we all work together. And so Easterners are more likely to think interdependence than independence. And so there's this phrase that we'll get into more in a little bit, suitable helper. That woman was created as a suitable 
helper. So the Hebrew word helper is ezer, E-Z-E-R. And it's, it's really kind of a hard word to define. Um, but here's what I found doing a word study is that this word help is most often ascribed to God and his relationship to us. So think about this. So Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present what? Help in trouble. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I'm with you. Do not be dis- dismayed for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Uh, Deuteronomy 33.7, and he said this about Judah. Hear, Lord, the cry of Judah. Bring him to his people with his own hands. He defends his cause. Oh, be his help against his foe. So those are three of hundreds of places where God is our help. He is our help. So here's why I bring that up. If it is most often ascribed to God, helper, then it is impossible to say that help is inferior. It's impossible to say that being a helper is an inferior position to be in. And so when we look at the woman being a suitable helper, we don't immediately go, oh, well, she doesn't have primary authority or responsibility. She is subservient. She is less than. Well, would we say that when God steps in and helps you, that he is inferior to you? No, we would never say that. You would never probably admit that out loud, yet that's the way we live our lives most of the time, that God owes us something and we're so smart that he can come in and make our plan better. But the reality is when God is our help, he is coming in and helping us accomplish the calling that he's placed on our life. What does that mean? You can't do it by yourself. You need help from someone else. So the word here means that she will be providing help to the man who has headship or primary authority and responsibility. So what could you argue here? That the man's actually the weaker one in the relationship. That God gave him primary primary authority, primary responsibility, and then as he's working with him, he's like, hey, brother, you need some help. (laughs) You weren't meant to do this on your own. Let me bring woman alongside you. So the word suitable, fit for, or a compliment. Compliment, it's this idea of, of, of being fitting together, literally fitting together to accomplish the purpose of bringing God's presence and glory to the world around you. The glory of God is never more on display when man and woman are in this groove, completing and complementing each other. Um, yeah, Jeff Wells, my... Uh, my mentor, he's a pastor of Woods Edge, and I think I've told you this before, but one of the things he says all the time is, hey, I'm the head of my household, and Gail is the neck, right? You can't turn your head without a neck. Some of you guys that don't have a neck because you work out too much, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So men, 
while we are the head, just imagine your wife is the neck. We need each other to accomplish God's purpose. Yvonne and I are a great example. Um, uh, you know, opposites attract, I think, right? And so how many of you would say that you and your spouse are opposites? Okay. How many of you would say you and your spouse are the same? Okay. Two of you. Great. <laughs> the rest of you are somewhere in between, right? You're, you're afraid to raise your hand. That's okay. Um, so uh, we're opposites in pretty much every way. I'm loud. She's quiet. Uh, I'm a dreamer. She's a planner. Um, I love action movies. I told you that last week. Uh, she love, loves rom-coms. Um, I actually love rom-coms too. Uh, uh, I love sports. She loves not sports. Um, I'm in the moment. She's thoughtful about the longer term. And so all of those things uh, seem to lead to friction. And they do, by the way. Um, they lead to a lot of friction. And so if you are living with your opposite, uh, it is so easy to live in that tension of being so different. And we are very, very different. Um, but you know what? God's design is that we allow each other to complement each other. That we don't try to oppress the other one. We don't try to live in, why can't you be more like me? Right? I mean, we have had arguments for years that, that it's like, hey, I just want to resolve this. And she's like, no, you just want to be right. I'm like, no, I am right. I need you to get on my page. That's always worked well, by the way. Um, whoo. Can we delete that part of the last? Yeah. She makes my dreams and my 30,000 foot plans better. I think about of all the things that have happened at restoration, uh, all of the ideas that have been generated, she's either made them better by going, Ooh, or she's generated ideas that make us better. And, and, and I have to observe, understand, and allow her to flourish in her gifting while still living uh, uh, under the banner of this authority and responsibility and allow her to flourish and come alongside to compliment. Okay, more to say about that in a few minutes. Verse 19, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals. So do we see here the same ground that God used to form man? He forms all of the wild animals, the birds of the sky, brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. That's interesting. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. So we see that um, this seems out of place, by the way, because he says, hey, it's, it, I need a suitable helper for Adam. And then he immediately creates livestock. He immediately creates the birds of the air. It seems like to me, if you read the chapter 2 account, of creation versus the chapter one account of creation. They are out of sequence with each other. So that just tells us even more. There's something different at play. I'm not sure exactly how it works, but, but here's what we know. He creates man before he creates woman. Why? I don't know. But he gives him primary authority and responsibility. He says, hey, it's not good for you to be alone, but let's just take it out for a ride. And then he creates 
all of these animals. And he said, whatever Adam called him first, that's what he was called. That's a scary proposition, y'all, right? He's just looking, uh, you look like Mike Francis said in the first service, an aardvark. Who names, I mean, that's an odd name, right? A rhinoceros. Just think about all of the crazy names. Uh, but, but here's what I want us to work toward. He's given primary authority and responsibility to partner with God. God creates these animals. He says, hey, name them. And he names them. And he gets to the end of that, but he's still incomplete. He's been given an assignment, but it's still incomplete. He needs help, and he's not going to get it from the animals. Why? Because he's not a beast like the animals. There's something more. The same dirt that created the animals is the same dirt that created man. But there was something more to man. He's already given him dominion over all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. And he says, hmm, you need something more. And it's another reminder that man has dominion over the animals. But you know who he doesn't rule over? Woman doesn't say that he rules over woman. It says that he is partnered with woman. And so look at what happens. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. So the word rib here is not a perfect translation. It's actually, uh, when it's translated, it's just taking some flesh and bone out of the man and using it to form the woman. Why? I mean, he created man, and there he was. But now, as he is creating the woman, he is saying, you know what? I need for you guys to be a perfect complement. And this is a picture of oneness. He takes flesh and bone out of the woman, so he takes it out from his side so that she can live by his side. It's this beautiful picture of oneness. And Adam realizes it immediately. He says, this is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. Can you imagine waking up from a nap and you're like, hmm, what was that? I mean, the older we get, that just happens, right? You wake up and you're like, man, I've literally done nothing and I've got a cramp, right? But just imagine he, he puts the man to sleep, right, guys? You get to take a nap. And when he wakes up, here is God's perfect designed compliment to him. And he sees it. He sees it. So again, in the U.S., personal independence, individual achievement is celebrated. And I think about, you know, it's happening in marriage all the time, Right? And men are like, hey, just let me do my job. Don't speak into my job. Don't speak into what I'm doing. I got this. If I want your opinion, I'll ask for it. 
And again, in Eastern culture, it's interdependence where everyone is working together for the greater good. So look at verse 24. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So it would be customary in the culture for a woman to leave her family and you're not with her man, right? I mean, that's what happens today. It's what happens all over the world. It's, it's what was happening then. But here it says, no, a man leaves his father and mother. Again, it's a picture of headship. It's a picture of, hey, listen, uh, no more mama's boys in the house. It's time for you to leave and cleave to your wife. Leave and cleave to your husband. But the man leaves his father and mother and joins with his wife and they become one flesh. So this is just a, this is just a side note to moms and dads. So if you've got kids that are moving toward marriage, here is uh, the, the three words that are gonna change your life. Let them leave, let them leave. There's nothing worse on a marriage than unsolicited advice from your parents, right? Whether it's right or wrong, sometimes uh, the, the little baby birds gotta leave the coop and figure out some hard things on their own. And so you've gotta be vigilant to let them leave and let them cleave. It's so important. Uh, if you are already, you have kids that are married, um, I think it'd be really healthy for you to go ask them, hey, how am I doing with this? And sit back and be prepared for the answer. It's so important. Just the order is father. A, a man leaves his father and mother, becomes one flesh with his wife. Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Naked and no shame. Okay, so this is a picture of innocence and naivety. I didn't even know they were naked. So how is that twisted in our culture today? Here's what I know for sure. Not a single person in this room got up this morning and thought, you know what? I'm going shirtless to church today. I'm just going to take it out for a ride. Well, Jason, maybe you did, but mo most everybody just, you, like, you're not going to come in with no shirt on. Why? That would be shameful. Even if you had pride, your spouse would be like, bro, put a shirt on. Please, put a shirt on. Men, you would never let your wives walk in here shirtless, right? It's just not what we do. Why? Because the culture tells us, put some clothes on. Our, our, our sick. Okay. Penalty box. Five minutes, no amening, no conversation. Right? We all thank you in advance. Just sit there, take notes. Okay. Okay, so our, our uh, six-year-old granddaughter, I think Friday it was, she woke up, and the, the, sometime over the course since last week, she, is, she gets hot in the middle of the night, so she just takes off her pajamas. And so she comes uh, running into our room uh, with no clothes on. I'm like, hey, what you doing? Where are your clothes? She's like, oh, I was hot in the night. I was like, okay, well, why don't you go 
put on some clothes, either put your pajamas on, kind of put some clothes on, get ready for the day. And she went, nope. And she runs out. <laughs> she spent half the day running around without it. I mean, here's what I know. That is innocent to her. There's this naivety. And so let me say this. We talked about it with men last week that you are the preserver and protector of your home. You control what happens inside the home, what they receive inside the home. Know this, at a younger age than ever, your kids are being robbed of their innocence. And it is time, uh, man, your kids don't need another friend. They need a parent. And so please receive this. Men, we talked about this last week, practical tools. Women, you have as much responsibility in this. You're probably with your kids more than your husbands are during the day. And know this, a television and an iPad are horrible, horrible babysitters. Because we have really, really out of touch, distorted people in the world that are looking for ways to program your kids and what they're going to believe about the world. So it's time for us to step up. And I know, I know so many times it's like, well, I don't want to be a prude. I don't want to, I don't want to make them uh, watch or listen. I mean, come on, y'all. To be a godly parent is to keep your kids innocent and naive as long as possible. Thank you, the six of you that clapped. Okay, so um, but I, I really, I can't say enough. You are the spiritual protectors and preservers of God's presence in your home. So much is at stake. And as your kids are learning about sexuality, as they're learning about things that, that you know, you're scared to death for them to learn in the world, you get to have conversations with them. You get to control that narrative because they're going to learn it somewhere. Wouldn't you rather it be from you? And I think our, un, I, we're uncomfortable with what's going on in the world right now. And, and when we're talking about sexual identity and gender identity, hey, have conversations with your kids because they're having those conversations somewhere. It's everywhere in our culture. And now we can draw them back in to God's perfect design and have healthy conversations with them. But we're protecting them. We're protecting their innocence. Okay, so we've walked through the narrative of the passage and now in the last few minutes, I really, we see woman's primary role is to come alongside man to be his suitable helper. But how does that get twisted in our culture? Because I know today when we think about uh, the marriage relationship, we're all over the map, right? And so let me say this as we move into this next section. This has been very hard over the last couple of weeks because, uh, first of all, uh, I've been very public. I failed miserably in my marriage for a lot of years. I was not um, uh, the head of my family spiritually the way I needed to be. Uh, probably was, was maybe... Uh, passive in a lot of ways and I'm not a passive guy by nature but I can see that there was a lot of passivity a lot of shrinking back when it came time to lead and so just know this man if that's you I, I get it I was there and so as we move into this next section and we talk about the role of women and men maybe last week it was kind of a 
whoo, okay, I've got some work to do. Uh, women, the two things I'm about to talk about, they're stereotypes. So if you don't fall in either one of these categories, praise God, you're killing it. But I would encourage you to be open to the fact that maybe these are areas of growth for you. And I think one of the healthiest things that you can do as a married couple is to sit down when things are good, not during an argument, but when things are good and say, hey, could you give me some feedback on how I'm doing in these areas? That's a hard thing to ask, right? Pride will keep you from doing that because probably you know you're failing in at least one of those areas and you don't want to hear about it. When in reality, do you want a good marriage or a great marriage? Some of you have a a bad marriage and you would settle for good. That's great. Let's move toward that. Some of you have a really good marriage, but great is available. And it's all having these conversations. And again, this is God's perfect design. This is God's perfect design, living as two people under the submission and leadership of Jesus, moving toward Jesus. And as you're moving together, here are some ways that that gets twisted in our culture. Two common ways, uh, I believe that women struggle, comparison and dominance. Silence. Okay, let me explain what I mean by these. One of the biggest challenges in our culture today is comparison. It happens in both genders, but I do think that it's uh, pretty pandemic in most women today. Um, So know this, you can always find somebody better than you, right? And you can always find somebody worse than you. And so by comparison, you can always depend on how you compare, you're either here or here. But what does that say about your divine design? Comparison is straight from the enemy. And so what happens when you compare? Body image issues. How your child behaves in public becomes an indictment on who you are as a parent. Have you ever felt that way? That you're walking around Target and your kid's out of control and everybody's looking at you like their kid was perfect, right? And you were like, get off me, right? But, <laughs> but, but seriously, I mean, you begin to to really judge yourself or begin to wonder why I wonder how their kids are. Um, how your kids are performing academically, athletically, um, comparison of friend groups, who's the in group versus who's the out group. And here's the deal, it's all rooted in insecurity. Do you, do you recognize that? That comparison is rooted in insecurity because you're trying to score yourself based on the world. You're trying to score yourself based on uh, some random cultural expectation. And you're always asking the question, am I enough? Am I a good wife? Am I a good mom? Am I a good friend? So as you take your identity, identity to the culture, It's gonna tell you to alter your image. It's gonna say, hey, you need to get in the gym, right? You need to work out harder. Or if you can't, you need to alter your body through surgery, right? Because you need to look a certain way because by comparison, you need to have the perfect body in order to be acceptable. Um, You get your kid in anything select, right? Because as soon as it's select, it is the best of the best. 
right? And so, man, beginning at age three, um, you, you've got, you know, a, a, a soccer, private soccer coach for your three-year-old, right? <laughs> getting, getting them in there so that they can, you know, get drafted one day. You want them in one sport because if they're in a lot of sports, there's no way, there's no way that you're going to be selected to be the best. No way will you be a number one draft pick in the NFL if you're picking all these sports. We're taking away their creativity and we're driving them. Why? Because in a lot of ways, it's, it's in, it, it makes us look better, right? When our kids are doing something selective and we begin to define ourselves by what our kids are doing. You do whatever you have to do to break into the cool group of moms. You check out of your marriage because he's not measuring up by comparison. You get in conversations and you hear what one husband is doing and you begin to think, man, I wish my husband was like that. And then you say it out loud. And then you begin to trash your husband in front of all your friends. And you demean him in some way so that they really never look at him the same. This all starts with comparison. I mean, ladies, be honest. How many times have you looked at social media, you've seen a group of friends, your friends that are out, and they all stop and take a little selfie of all of them together, and when you see the picture, your first response is, I wonder why they didn't invite me. What's wrong with me? Why did I not get invited? And if you get invited to everything, just know there's somebody outside of your group that is asking that question. Well, I wonder why I didn't get the invite. So comparison, man, it's such a slippery slope. Comparison leads to jealousy, judgment, and ultimately loneliness. You're lonely because you never feel like you quite measure up. And you're really, you're afraid to go public with comparison. You're afraid to admit that, man, not only do I not have it all together, but I wish I were someone else. By the way, a man's aggression leads to a woman's insecurity. So, man, you, you, have, a, you have a lot to do with this. A lot of times, women are comparing themselves to other women because they see you staring at other women in public. They're insecure about how they look because you have led the way there. Or you uh, say certain things that make them feel a certain way and they feel insecure and they go out trying to figure it out. And know this, for all of us, um, we all wish that there were at least something different about our spouse, right? If we're being honest, there's something like, well, I wish she was more like this. Or I wish he was more like this. Comparison is a killer. So what about dominance? So we talked last week about the cultural dumbing down of men, and uh, I thought about the sitcom King of Queens. Has anybody seen that? Man, it's hilarious. But Kevin James, you know, is this uh, oaf of a UPS driver, always comedy of errors. And his wife, played by Leah Remini, is constantly looking at him and just like, idiot. Right? And sometimes we identify with that, don't we? Because over time, I heard that. Um, is that in the lobby? <laughs> Seemed like a long way away. Somebody running out the door. Yeah. Um, but but don't, don't we often feel like that? Like our wives just feel like that we're this big comedy of errors. 
And what's interesting is that uh, we live down to that cultural stereotype way too often. So when a woman sees her man as passive, yes, <laughs> someone just clapped for that. When a, when, when a woman sees her man as passive, she becomes assertive and over time she becomes domineering. Okay, so here's what I want you to know. Men, there is a spiritual headship and leadership in your family. Your passivity leads uh, to this, uh, this vacuum of power. And if you are not leading so often, and we see it in the church all the time, right? Women who are prominent figures in the church who are dragging their husbands to church. I mean, I grew up in that kind of culture. And I said last week, men, I wanna commend you. I think we do better than most, but we have so much work to do. And so when you are not leading your family spiritually, there's a vacuum of power and, and a woman will come in and be assertive and she'll do it in the name of somebody's got to lead us spiritually. I guess it'll be me. And over time, it becomes dominance, domineering. So what does female dominance look like? Overly critical, controlling, manipulative, this is hard, right? It's hard when we get into a place where there's this weird balance of power that's shifted. Um, you know, I, I, for 20 years, I slipped in and out of being an okay husband, but ultimately I would have given, given myself a failing grade for the first 20 years. And when my life fell apart in December, 2010, I had a choice to make. So I was, I was the failure this failure's now become public. And so imagine now trying to move into a healthy place. Jesus healed me, I'm feeling free, but, but I knew that I had hurt Yvonne. And so here's the question, am I gonna live in confidence that God has changed me or am I gonna continue to bow my head in shame? Because I'm not worthy. So I have uh, counseling sessions all the time with guys and, and with married couples, and so often, here's what I see. The man has made a huge mistake. The woman now will take that and use it against him for the rest of his life. And, and the man will be like this. And he will become subservient forever. He won't live in the confidence of who God has made him to be. He will not live in freedom. And ladies, the woman doesn't want him to. The woman uses that as a bargaining chip to be dominant in the relationship. And so again, it's stereotypical, but it happens all the time. And so here's what I would say. Men, if you are living in shame over your past, you have confessed it to God and your, your woman, your woman, your wife uh, has said she has forgiven you. Sorry, got a little slang there. Uh, if she says she's forgiven you, you need to live in the confidence that she's forgiven you and begin to lead her the way that she needs to be led. Amen. Amen. Ladies, if you said you've forgiven your husband, but you continue to assert dominance over him and continue to nitpick him and continue to keep him down and continue uh, watching him live in shame, you are not living in God's design for your marriage. Amen. Do you see how the two have to work together? Yes. If he's trying to be new, let him be new. Yes. So we got some scripture on you. Um, Proverbs 21, 19 says this, it is better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. 
Hey, those are not my words. <laughs> so what's God saying there? Bro, it'd be better for you to be on the desert with no water than be in the house with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Does that offend you, ladies? It's God's word. <laughs> but seriously, it does speak volumes to what a man needs from his wife. Domineering is the antithesis of Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Remember we said 5.21 is the key to this passage. 5.21 says mutually submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. But now he's like, hey, do, do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, you'll show it by the way you live in submission to your wife, okay, uh, to your husband. Um, but, 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 but here's the deal. But here, here's the deal. If you are unwilling to live under the leadership of Jesus, you will not live under the headship of your husband. So it's part of the spiritual life. And submission doesn't mean that you just become weak, that you just kind of lay down and let him walk all over you. No, actually submission would be akin to meekness, strength under control. And he says the meek inherit the earth. And so it's this picture of submission that I am not living to dominate. I want to be submissive under the headship of my spouse, Ephesians 5.33. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband to live in a respectful way. So men assert dominance with physical aggression, right? Come at me, right? I said last week, I mean, I'm more a chihuahua, but... Um, Women assert dominance with their words. Well, and I don't think you realize that, that your husband rises and falls with your words. He may get a ton of affirmation outside of your home, but what he needs is your affirmation. He rises and falls. And, and, and man, you can fall victim to just mutilating him with your words, emasculating him. James 3, the power of the tongue is life and death. Okay, so do you see how comparison and dominance can keep you from being the suitable helper for your spouse? Men, can you see how passivity and aggression can keep your wife from living into her God-given design for your marriage? So here's what we really need. What we really need is good, healthy conversation. Because here's where you can go first. If you're not living under the authority, leadership, lordship of Jesus, then you can just close this and head out for the rest of the day because you will not make it. You do not have what it takes, men. You do not have what it takes to be the spiritual leader of your house if you're not first submitted to Jesus. Okay, so if you're not gonna choose that first, the rest of it, you may be able to fool your wife and do a little bit of behavior modification, but it won't last. You've got to live under the authority of Jesus. 
ladies, whether things have been good or whether they've been not so great, if you're not going to choose to live under the authority of Jesus as the leader of your life and ultimately the leader of your marriage, just pack it in. Because at the end of the day, if you will live under the authority of Jesus and if you will pray for and encourage and affirm your spouse as he tries to navigate through this, man, watch what happens. I was in Love Coffee the other day, and uh, there were two guys. I got a restoration sitting there, and uh, I was finished with an appointment. I went over and said hi to him. And this guy said, man, I started praying with my wife Thursday. I mean, uh, Sunday, and now it's Thursday. It's transformed my marriage. I'm like, I mean, it's been four days, so um, uh, what's, what, uh, is that going to continue? But at the end of the day, I cheered him on because I'm like, dude, you prayed with your wife four days in a row. That's a big deal. It's assuming this leadership. And so, ladies, affirm it where you see it. When they attempt to step in, don't push them down in shame. That's dominance. Affirm what they're trying to accomplish. Tell them thank you. And affirm what you see so they'll have the confidence to move by faith into the next step. Okay, so a couple of things as we close. Uh, number one, ladies, support your husbands as he assumes spiritual responsibility of your family. You get to affirm what you see. Don't emasculate him, but affirm and support him as he embraces his role. Uh, allow him to work his way through learning how to lead you well. Pray for him. Talk him up to your friends. Your words bear more weight than you can ever know. That's the way that God created your relationship. You're to cheer him on. It's part of your role as being a suitable helper to come alongside him and be the wind in his sails. But along with that, number two, live into your Ephesians 2.10 calling, but don't compete with your husband. Every single person in this room, we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Every single one of us have a divine, unique thumbprint, a divine, unique calling by God, good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. But know this, God will never give you a calling that undermines your marriage. Never. It's not who God is. He, he divine, divinely made each of you as image bearers equal in creation and affection, but called to complement each other. So you're called to complement your husband, not compete with him. Know this, the, the, the culture promotes female equality, but it does it in a very angry way. There's a lot of anger in our culture today about what, what women are, are angry, trying to fight back for what they deserve. That anger is rooted in pride and it's not only Jesus. And so again, you were created equally as an image bearer of God. But the way God designed it in Genesis 1 and 2, there's this beautiful picture of headship and helper that come together to do something beautiful in the kingdom of God. It's God's perfect design. And remember, sin is what has jacked it all up but the goal is through the cross to get back 
his original design.